I went from 10 years as an Army Apache pilot and uh, did one tour in Afghanistan where I was a troop commander to working in corporate America and sitting in a cubicle. Hi, I'm Fred Burton. Welcome to the Pen and Sword Podcast. I'm here today with Don Bentley, who has written Without Sanction, a Matt Drake thriller. Thanks for being here, Don. Thanks for having me, Fred. Don, you've got a fascinating background. Tell me how you got here. Wow. So I think writers in general are supposed to have great backgrounds, but I was very fortunate. I went to uh, to college on an Army ROTC scholarship, and so I spent 10 years as a Army Apache pilot um, after college. And it is hard to have a bad day when you're flying an Apache helicopter. <laughs> for a long time, it was it's one of those things where you think, I can't believe they're actually paying me to do this. So right. I spent 10 years as an Army Apache pilot and uh, did one tour in Afghanistan where I was a troop commander before I got out. And then by that time, it, it was something that was very, very enjoyable, but we'd moved eight times in 10 years, and, and my youngest was about to start kindergarten. And so we, my wife and I decided to get out and to get a job that offered a little more stability and, and a little more something with a home life. And so I went from Afghanistan and being an Apache pilot to wor- working in corporate America and sitting in a cubicle, and that was – that was a pretty big change. Yeah, I can imagine. It, yeah, it was. It, it's funny because I think this is something that a lot of veterans go through when they transition out of the military. Is that when you're in the military, you don't realize how much of who you are is wrapped up in what you do in your sense of purpose there. And so, I think a, a lot of folks, and rightfully so, come out thinking, "Well, I, I did this in the military, and you know, I did a combat tour in Afghanistan. I did X, Y, and Z." Surely there's nothing in the civilian world uh, that I can't do. And I, and I think that's true from a certain aspect. I think the other aspect is is that you will have to redefine kind of that sense of purpose and who, who you are and what drives what you do. And for me, sitting sitting in a cubicle wasn't quite what I was ready to do at that time. So I did that for three years and – uh, right about the end of the third year, the FBI uh, had a program where they were actively recruiting folks who had a military and, and combat background. And so I, I left corporate America and go and went into the FBI for a little over two years. I was stationed at the Dallas field office, and it was a, a fantastic organization. I, I tell people I've been very search- fortunate to have served with two of the greatest organizations uh, you could serve with, the FBI and the Army, and and did two years there as a um, – originally as working in their field intelligence group and then um, when I left working in public corruption and then was also fortunate enough to be on the Dallas uh, field office SWAT team, which was a ton of fun as well and another great group of, of men and women there to serve with. When I got done with that, uh, uh, some friends of mine from the military had started a small company um, compo- or comprised of, of mainly folks from the special operations community, and uh, we worked marketing and developing technology for SOCOM. And again, when you look at that, as a, as a veteran, you want to feel that what you're doing is worthwhile and it's sure. a sense of purpose. And so there is something – 
something intrinsically good about building an important piece of kit that you're going to hand to somebody and they're going to go overseas and use. And so I've been fortunate enough to do that uh, in one capacity or another for about the last eight years. Well, that's amazing. Talk to me a little bit about the book. When did the book start to come together? Uh, I know from just doing my books, I'm I'm always like thinking of things to do next. When did you start thinking about doing Without Sanction? I have a uh, an undergraduate degree in electrical engineering, which is not typically, I guess, what what writers have for a degree. But I had always loved writing and always wrote stories, and was always scribbling on the side. And my my senior year in college, I had to take a technical writing class, an engineering technical writing class. And the first assignment was write about something you built once. And and all my classmates did perfect assignments on microchips they've built or something like that. And I wrote a funny story about a treehouse I built as a kid. And (laughs) in my – the next class period, uh, the professor took that and read it to the class and that was like my my proudest moment in my collegiate career is is hearing him read this story. And so I decided um, once I got done, uh, my first assignment out of flight school was Korea and I did that for two years. And I decided to get serious about my writing after that. And so you as a writer, I'm sure, went through a similar process where there's some fundamentals about the craft that you have to learn first. So whether it's what's the structure of a novel or a book, what are what is what how do you how do you effectively write the language you want to, how do you develop your voice? And so that was about two thousand one or, or two thousand two for me. And in between two thousand one and in 2016 when Without Sanction sold, I wrote three novels that didn't sell and a whole bunch of short stories, most of which that didn't sell. And and then also went back, I took the GI Bill and got my MFA in creative creative writing from Seton Hill University, which offers a fantastic low residency program, all the time getting better and better at my craft. And so the the main character in Without Sanction is a DIA case officer named Matt Drake. And part of what I've, I've had somebody really smart tell me once that when you want to come and enter a genre, like a genre like military or espionage thrillers, you need to bring something to that genre that's similar but different. So something that the readers – you understand the conventions enough to give the readers something that they understand, but something a little different that hopefully sets you apart from all the amazing people who are writing in that genre. And so for me, one of the huge influences on my writing career was Nelson DeMille. And so yeah. he, he writes those fantastic uh, – a whole bunch of fantastic books, but the ones that stuck with me were the John Corey books that had that really witty first-person sure. protagonist. And so that was part of my growth too is is figuring out Matt's voice because I also use kind of a, a witty first-person protagonist. And, and, and I knew that was the character I wanted to build the novel around. Now as far as the book itself, another smart person said that what a novelist is doing is trying to actually work out a question that he or she has on the pages of their book. And so for me, that question came from a couple different places – uh, when I was in Afghanistan, I was the air mission commander for an operation that went pretty horribly wrong. Mm. And so I spent a lot of time after that second-guessing what had happened, what I'd done, if there was something I could do that had been different, what would I have done? And so I wanted that question to be something that my protagonist has to wrestle with. And so in the opening pages of the book, you find out that Matt Drake, who's a case officer, had 
had made a mistake potentially that cost his asset and his asset's family their lives. And I wanted to see how he would wrestle with that because you can't get do-overs. But I remember my time from Afghanistan, and I think a lot of veterans or law enforcement folks go through this when something goes wrong. Even though you know you can't ever get that moment back again, you spend a lot of time wishing you could or wishing that you had some opportunity to make a difference again. And so that really drove a lot of the themes in the book. And then maybe the the last two parts is, like I said, I was fortunate enough to work with and still do. Uh, my coworkers are pro- predominantly folks from the special operations and intelligence community. And just the way that they think, so Matt Drake is a ranger, and I knew, you know, I'd been in the Army. I knew there was a such thing as a ranger creed, but I never understood how much it actually dictated people's lives who adhere to that creed. And, and being able to work with co-workers who those weren't just words that were written down on a paper that was their ethos the thing that they lived with even far outside that they once they got out of the military and there's and there's a section of the ranger creed that i use in the beginning of my book that talks about never leaving a fallen comrade behind and that was something that just again i knew from a head knowledge perspective but until i saw it in afghanistan and 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 saw it resonate with me I remember when when the operation went went so poorly in Afghanistan and there were a number of SEALs unaccounted for, the war completely stopped until they found those guys because that's the dedication that your country gives to you if you go in harm's way. That's That's the bargain is that I can't guarantee if you deploy on behalf of your com- country that you'll necessarily come back alive, but you will come back. Your country will not give up on you. They will expend, you know, to the last full measure to go and get you no matter what that meant. And so that was another huge part that I felt like people who aren't part of that community or have never seen it firsthand, maybe never had been experienced or had experience with, and I wanted to give them a chance that. And then the final portion, like I said, was my work as an FBI agent. The beginning part, my my job was to run and recruit what we call sources, uh, what folks in the intelligent community call assets. And and because of that, I got to rub shoulders with a with a number of different agencies. And and so I, I deliberately wanted to make Matt a case officer because I think that's that's such a fantastic. Thing, the, the relationship between a case officer and their source and asset and kind of the whole psychology behind that, but also give him or, or make him part of an agency that you don't see as much. And so the DIA, a lot of people know is there, but probably don't understand the mission and purpose sure. of and the difference between the CIA. So that's kind of how all those pieces came together for the book. I'll get back to our conversation in a minute. But I wanted to mention that we have a whole list of very good authors that we've interviewed on our Pen and Sword podcast to include our subject matter expert analysts that cover the world probably better than any other that I've ever been associated with. You can find pretty much any kind of geopolitical analysis from economics to terrorism to how the world works on our website, which is stratford.com slash subscribe. And for those of you who are listening to our podcast, I encourage you to check out stratfor.com slash Fred Burton for a special offer. And thanks for listening. I know one of my biggest drivers for wanting to tell Bill Buckley's story in Beirut Rules was mm-hmm. this general sense of failure that yep. that I had that we could not get to Bill yep. in time. And 
literally we're working behind the scenes at this fevered pitch and yep. we didn't even know that Bill had died. Yep. And just that general sense of, of failure and wanting to tell the story about the man afterwards because – uh, that's the kind of story that, in my judgment, needs to be told, and so Absolutely. that's that's fascinating to me. Listening to how you got here, so let's let's talk a little bit about your failures leading up to sure. the success of this story. So you you write three books before, you know, as we know in this business, it's a business and it's yep. a tough market to even get a book sold. So yep. obviously, with your background as a pilot and and an FBI agent, you're not the kind of guy that's going to give up. <laughs> So did that motivate you more? It did. And um, first off, I think, and again, you're, you're a writer as well, and so you know this you know this intimately. But for a lot of folks who are on Twitter or Facebook or something, you see what looks like a writer burst onto the scene with a two-book deal, and, and you're struggling, and you're like, man, how did they do that? <laughs> yeah. How did they sell? And, and there are some people who are, like Brad Taylor, his very first book hit the New York Times bestseller yeah. list. First he, thing he ever wrote. He's a great guy. We've he's had him on our guy. podcast. Yeah, he's a great guy. I wish it would have taken him three books like me, but he's a great. No, he's sure. a, he's a good friend of mine. <laughs> but I think for most of us, there is that iteration of over and over again of writing and failing and writing and failing. And and when you look back at it. You know, anything, if you want to be a good carpenter, a good plumber, there's usually an apprenticeship program or, or something that you spend time perfecting your craft, right? And, and that is usually done through, tri through trial and error. And, and, and so if you look at, you know, it took me three novels and a lot of stuff, but what are the number of words that you have to write in order to become proficient enough at your craft to be able to sell it? And so it did, a lot of it did, um, I didn't want to give up because of my background, but I think a lot of it too, and this is why I think the writing community as a whole, going to things like Thriller Fest or conferences and stuff gives you the opportunity to socialize with writers who are successful, who are farther along in that journey than, than you are. And usually for the price of a beer or two, you can sit down there and get a master's class on what it takes to succeed. And, and during one of my rough patches when my third book hadn't sold yet and, and I didn't even have an agent, my the, the Barbara Powell, who's my agent now, introduced me to Nick Petrie, who, who is one of her clients. And so Nick Petrie writes this fantastic series about Peter Ash, who was a Marine with PTSD. The first book in that is called The Drifter. And so Nick and I, it was supposed to be a 10-minute conversation, and an hour and a half later, we're talking, and I'm and I'm throwing myself at his feet. I'm like, Nick, I don't know if I'm ever going to do this. <laughs> and he grabbed me by the lapels and he said, he said, I didn't sell my first three books either. You're me two years ago. Don't quit. And so I went home, finished the novel, didn't quit. And my fourth one ended up selling just like his. And so I think there certainly is your background and stuff is part of it. I know Jack Carr, yeah. another phenomenal writer. He He's likes a good to guy say, too. Great guy. And that – that's the other thing is that most of these folks or I should say all of them that I've met have incredible backgrounds before. Brad, Jack, you know, Mark Graney is, is a fantastic writer, extremely humble people to talk to that when you know them one on one will will give you the good, bad and ugly. But I know Jack Carr before in interviews has said, never tell me the odds. You know, I'm, a, I'm a, don't tell me how hard it is to succeed in publishing. And so he was a little. He was a little different. Mine actually was. There were times where I'm like, I am never going to do this. And it was more from a lot of times encouragement from graceful or grateful people and, and 
like Nick, who said, don't give up, don't give up, write one more book. And I, I think, you know, as stupid as that sounds or as it simple as it, as it is, if you don't write the book that's going to sell, you're never going to sell. And well, that's a very good point, Don. And, and what I have always been amazed at in this business is and – and you're right, much like how we connected mm-hmm. uh, folks like Brad Thor and yep. Jack Carr. Uh, I, I've always been amazed at how gracious they yep. are in providing advice or, or counsel. And, Absolutely. And um, just just being good people. I mean, I mean I'm reading uh, Brad Thor's uh, mm-hmm. book, Spy Master. And I see that in the midst of his novel, his thriller, which you know he's going to sell a million yep. copies, yep. he's listed my book in his thriller. He's mm-hmm. got his operators reading Beirut Rules before it came out. And, yep. Yep. and Brad didn't have to do that. He was just a nice guy. And, and it, it's amazing to me that this kind of business is, for all of its problems in the publishing world at times yep. – when it boils down to just the people connect, Absolutely. that for the most part, uh, we we certainly help each other when it comes to this kind of kind of work. Yep. Now, you've got a Matt Drake thriller. Yep. I assume, and you in my mind when I see that, I'm we can expect uh, some uh, sequels yes. coming from this. Absolutely. So I turned in um, book two in the um, series. That's awesome. Just before Christmas. Yep, and kind of had my editorial with. Uh, call with Tom Colgan, who's my fantastic editor, just a week or two. So book two is coming a year from March, and then I'm writing book three now. Wow. Wow. Now, I have to say I've spent a fair amount of time in uh, Pakistan, Mm -hmm. and uh, namely on different terrorist attacks, and then I I worked on the uh, Zia plane crash in in 1988. Uh, I was much younger then, Don, so (laughs) – uh, and I certainly had more hair. Uh, I see in Without Sanction you have uh, a Pakistani weapons scientist yep. involved in this part of a plot. Now, please don't give it away, but what what's the kind of plot as, as it unfolds here within sure. Without Sanction? So that came from a couple different places. So as I'm sure you're familiar, there's a very famous um, Pakistani weapons scientist who founded what I believe we call the Khan Labs. Where, oh, yeah. And, and he – ended up taking his show on the road, for lack of a better term, right? That, mm-hmm. and, and this isn't unique to Pakistan. There are a number – that was obviously a big concern when the Soviet Union broke up is all these smart scientists who have had great government-paid uh, jobs now have have all kinds of secrets in their head and who's going to hire them to go do that stuff. And so that was um, part of the reason why I came up with it would be neat to have this – this Pakistani weapon scientist who developed something. And then the second part of it is I had a um, – one of the things that you do when you run and recruit sources or assets is you do a number of pitches and you do – sometimes those are just bumps where you're getting to know potentially who the asset is or sources. Sometimes they're pitches and sometimes despite your best intention, you do a pitch and, and the person turns you down. And so one of the things you always think about is what happens that person turned you down in that moment but what if a year down the road or a year and a half down the road they stumble into something and some source or asset kind of comes out of the woodwork and comes back to you and says, hey, I've got this thing now. Now I want to work for you. And so those two things both come into play with my my Pakistani weapon scientist that he was an asset that Matt unsuccessfully pitched uh, before the book takes place. And then one of the central tenets of the book is that he resurfaces with some – 
pretty compelling information that that kind of draws Matt out of his retirement and and gives him and that was another thing going back to that redemption uh, uh, kind of theme I talked to before is you can't go back and ever right that wrong that you had but what if you get a chance to somehow atone and it's mm. not the exact thing but if you could go back if you could go back to Beirut again and yeah. save somebody else if if I could go back to Afghanistan and make a different decision if Matt now can go to Syria and try and right a wrong that, that happened to him before would he and what would that look like yeah that's a very powerful theme very powerful theme now Don we have a lot of writers uh, that listen to this podcast and uh, tell me a little bit about how you craft, meaning, sure. for example, what's your process? Do you get up every morning and write or walk me through like what works for you? Sure. I, I do about 5,000 words every day before I even start work just as soon as I nah, – that's not true at all. No, it, it's <laughs> – yeah. I do have a – I have a word count um, I want to hit every week and what I what I try to do is write some in the morning and then some in the evening again uh, once once the kids are, are doing homework and dinner's over and such. And, and then I use Saturdays and Sundays to kind of revise some of that and write some longer stretches of the book. Writers or at least fiction writers, you guys that, that write nonfiction, you actually have to write things that are true which require research and a whole lot more work. Us, us nonfiction writers or fiction writers can just make things up. But Writers genuinely kind of fall into two camps. So you have the folks who outline and outline very extensively and then the folks who are organic writers or write by the seat of their pants. And and if you are one, I think it's very hard to become the other. And so I write more orga- organically. I have tried over the course of many, many books to outline a book and, and it just doesn't work very well for me. What what works better for me, there's a great book by Stephen James called Story Trump Structure where you basically look at what you're writing and you ask a couple questions as you write. How do I raise the stakes for my protagonist? What is this thing that I could do to make his life or her life more miserable? And that kind of guides – you're writing, but what that means is that your 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 first draft tends to be very loose, and your subsequent drafts you have to come back and put some structure around what you've done. And so, a million different ways to do that too. What has worked for me is there's another great book called Save the Cat. That's a very small book um, that written originally by a guy who made his living writing screenplays on specs, and it goes through and says in a in a screenplay or a novel. There are three acts, and here are the major beats that need to be in those three acts. And so what I typically do is after I write that first draft, I get his 14 beats or whatever it is, and I make note cards of my scenes and how they fall into his beats. And so what that allows you to do is say, you know, have I waited too long in the first act before I got to the inciting event? You know, is the midpoint really the cliffhanger than it needs to be? Have I gone through? And so that for me allows me to start putting some structure around um, what is a very free-ranging story at that point and then starting to tighten it up. And then that allows you too to start to look and say, okay, what kind of themes are starting to run through the book? What What are some ways that I can up, you know, increase tension, things like that? So Again, million different answers for that probably with every writer, but that's the process that works for me. Well, that's a very structured process, and I, I think that's very sound advice for anybody looking to put together their first thriller. Now, the book is on sale March the 3rd. That's right. And uh, 
Tell me where people can find it. So they can find the book anywhere books are sold. We're actually going to do a book tour um, starting on the, the 3rd or 4th of March, and then I'll put that up on social media as well. And you have your own website? and I don't have my own website, but I have. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at BentleyDonB, or I have a Facebook page. It's the same one. Well, thank you for being with us here today, Don. Thank you for having me, Fred. I really appreciate it. We really enjoy having authors here in the studio, and we really are very appreciative that Don came in to visit with us today. For those of you that would like more information about our Pen and Sword podcast, I encourage you to look at stratford.com slash Fred Burton for a special offer. And thanks for listening.